welcome to the Replay Value Podcast, where we deep dive into the movies we all love to watch over and over again. I'm Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co-host on the West Coast, Warren. What's up, bro? In this episode, we're going to talk about the crime drama cult classic, Quentin Tarantino's first film, Reservoir Dogs. Meet Mr. Pink, Mr. White, Mr. Orange, Mr. Blue, and Mr. Brown. The real identities protected even from each other. They are the meanest brat pack of criminals ever brought together to pull off a huge jewelry heist. When the group is set up, the heist botched, and it becomes apparent that there is an informer or an undercover cop among them. Paranoia and panic leads them to an explosive, breakneck pace spree of violence. Harvey Keitel, Sister Act the Piano, Michael Madsen, Thelma Louise, Tim Roth and Chris Penn star in what critics have referred to as the year's most ferocious hit. Uh, that is the uh, VHS box, hi-fi stereo. Well, it's a step um, step forward from our last episode, Goldfinger, where it just basically told you the whole plot. So I, I appreciate that. Keeps it succinct. Tells you what you need to know. Now, interesting that it's uh, you were, say, were saying it's Tarantino's first film. As writer-director. Yeah, I consider true, true romance. Well, as his first screenplay. This is yeah, his first out- film. But no, you say Tarantino's going to do 10 films or uh, and he's done nine with Once Upon a Time. Oh, True Romance isn't accounted. True Romance is accounted. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, so technically, this is yes, the so. first of his nine films so far The uh, of what is planned to be the uh, the 10. First of, yeah. of 10 films. Written and directed by yes. Tarantino. Yes. The filmmaker. Yes. Right. Writer-director. Now, I had read that you know this is somewhat an independent film. At least its roots are in that. Oh, no, uh, it is. Yeah, but this is one that I was late to the party on. Um, the first QT film that I saw was Pulp Fiction, and it was um, it was after the fact that I was like, hey, I want to see more of this guy. Exactly, and, but Pulp Fiction is what got you into Reservoir Dogs. You yeah, didn't, correct. You didn't see Reservoir Dogs. A lot of people, I think, saw Pulp first and then wanted to see his first movie on the, 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 the back of Pulp. And I think it was the nature of it, the independent film roots, that it didn't have this type of widespread acclaim. It was just like a stepping stone to Pulp Fiction. That's what you know blew the, the doors open, and then people went back and watched Reservoir Dogs. So mm-hmm. um, most people, I would say, that saw Res- that have seen Reservoir Dogs, it is not the first film of Quentin Tarantino they have saw, despite this being Quentin Tarantino's first film, mm-hmm. is kind of what I'm getting at. Uh, I've probably only seen it, I would say, maybe five or six times it's not one of my top tarantino films great nonetheless but not not one of the not one of the ones that i i've come well i've seen all of tarantino's movies a lot some more than others but i'd say i've seen all of them at least 15 20 times i mean all his movies have an intrinsic built-in replay value oh yeah yeah for sure yeah, okay. absolutely. I, I go on a Tarantino filmography. I'll just sit there and watch them on. If it ever comes on, I'll sit there and watch it. Dude, you know, dude, Tarantino is my favorite director. Like Kubrick was dad's. Tarantino's yeah. mine. He's the greatest. He's the GOAT. Not going to talk. Tell me otherwise. I mean, no, no, you talk, I, I, I just find myself, yeah, I mean, this one always gets kind of left out. You know, I find myself 
Pulp Fiction. Nah, and, I feel like uh, Death Proof is the one of his that gets the, the it's the Ugly that's Duckling, and that's a I, good movie. But uh, it just did, did, did you know, and, and Hateful Eight, I, I really think didn't get a fair shake, particularly in award did. season. I mean, so there's just a lot of uh, his his films are amazing, man. And, and, and we've it, talked about this before. I've still not seen Death Proof, and you know, you get mad at me at that. But I have. Ha- we have it. I have every Tarantino film in the Apple Collection. You have access to it. No excuse. I know, but I hadn't seen Hateful Eight either until last Christmas. And you're yeah, like, we watched oh, that. Watch that was movie. great. Yeah, man. I love that movie. That movie's so yeah. good. Oh, Hateful Eight. Uh, and that's the, that's the, the same reaction I had to Reservoir Dogs. I'd kind of slept on it, and I watched. It, I was like, oh man, this movie is so good. Mm. It's, yeah, uh, it's raw, but it's 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 a great non-linear storytelling film. Very good. Uh, so do kick us mm-hmm. off there, Warren. Uh, how did the film get made? And, well, we know who made it, but how did it get made? Well, uh, at least who conceived it. Uh, above the Line, produced by Lawrence Bender, distributed by Miramax Films, edited by Sally Minky, and written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, as we aforementioned his first film. Uh, Tarantino wrote this script in three and a half weeks. We've all heard about Tarantino's you know, famed time as a, uh, a clerk at Video Archives, working with Roger Avery uh, in writing scripts together, how they produced uh, you know, from his open road the, the script uh, that Avery and Tarantino collaborated on. Uh, they were able to come out of that, what, uh, True Romance, Natural Born Killers, uh, Reservoir Dogs, and, and, and Pulp Fiction, or at least some uh, remnants of that big script that bled into all those pictures, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, the, a lot of his films, at least the first one, was a long time in the making. Now, he was going to do like uh, his own little $30,000 movie, you know, uh, you know, like, true, true. Indie. And I, I did that a couple summers ago. I, I uh, directed a little movie. Uh, but he met Lawrence Bender, who told him, hey, give me a few months to try to get this made for real. You know, where you got trucks. You know, instead of a $30,000 movie, you got a $1.5 million movie. So uh, Bender ended up passing it to his, I believe, his acting teacher, who then gave it to his wife, who then gave it to Harvey Keitel, something like that. I mean, the sounds like the Baskin-Robbins, uh, the Ferris Bueller, uh, you know, it's, it's the, in terms of the custody of this script. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm sure it's uh, apocryphal at this point, but the, the point being it, it got in Harvey Keitel's hands. And you heard me talk about the True Romance script. Even then, when people read Tarantino's script, they knew it was something special. I mean, he he, he would write, he, he comes up with dialogue. It would take people a, a lifetime to write. He can write it on the back of a cocktail napkin in 15 minutes. I mean, that's the genius of Tarantino. Um, but he always intended for this to be his directorial debut. That's why, if you look, it's written with a low production. He knew he was going to have trouble being able to direct his own movie if it was had a lot of locations, any action sequences. I mean, a lot mm. of this picture is shot in one location. It's in a warehouse. Uh, yeah. And they don't show you the robbery, which, I mean, obviously, for budgetary reasons, big save there. Well, yeah, you don't have to have a heat scene. <laughs> yeah, it could be a you know, storytelling reasons, too. It's about more than the heist. It's about what's kind of going on around that. Uh, similar to Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, where it doesn't ever show the, the robbery there. It's everything. Exactly. It's all, it's all the moving parts outside of One of our favorites. That. Yeah, very good. Movie. Good. I watched that, that a lot. That's just because we were in sales, but nevertheless, um, time. it's like four um, now, sales now, movies. Now, Lawrence Bender though was not the only producer. Um, and this he was very fairly unknown at the time. He would go on to do Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, Volumes One and Two, as well as Inglorious Bastards with Tarantino. Also did uh, a film we did earlier this season, Goodwill Hunting. Um, so he is oh, yeah. becoming an acclaimed producer. But I did see that another. Th- thing that bumped the budget up beyond that what anytime i hear thirty thousand dollar independent film i always think of course of you know clerks kevin smith i think that was a very common way to say 
like 22 grand i think yeah something like that but essentially around that monetary budget value to say okay this is this i'm taking my shot i'm dumping everything in maxing out the credit cards i'm going to try to get my career off the ground nowadays you know you can make a independent film of better quality for a lot cheaper than that um but it wasn't until harvey keitel himself when he got the script did sign on as a co-producer and help up that budget including like paying for casting sessions getting some of the bigger names involved so that yeah Keitel Ky- getting involved was a big step up for that yeah and i mean you mentioned the casting get, paying for the casting sessions now listen you'll hear me rave about tarantino because i'm just like could be president of his fan club and i should probably start one but look we all know he's a great writer i mean he's one of the best in hollywood history in terms of writing screenplays he, he truly is i mean there's only like four screenwriters who've won more than one oscar for an original screenplay he's one of them he's a great director one of the best a great composer now we know he doesn't compose his scores for his films but he's amazing he's a selector like scorsese he's a he's fantastic at picking music for his films Right. He doesn't give the soul of his movie to, away to a composer. He doesn't. The heart of his movie Unless doesn't. Any more Coney and like exactly from Good Man <laughs> the Ugly, who uh, he wholeheartedly sure. trusts uh, with a Hateful Eight. But not only is he all those things, you want to know Tarantino is probably his greatest superpower. It's casting. Mm. His it, it, literally outside of writing, it might be his greatest trait. Uh, he is so great at casting. Uh, his films and I mean when you look at how many actors have been nominated and, and have won in his movies I mean his parts are written for actors to shine on the screen um, so yeah he's he's amazing at casting uh, so you mentioned the casting sessions I mean I, uh, there's even a story he tells where he was working with a casting director for Reservoir Dogs and she was like you know if this doesn't work out I'll offer you, I'll partner up with you and give you half my business. <laughs> yeah, because he you know, he was that good at it. I mean, because yeah. you know T- Tarantino was doing the thing where he would bring in an actor and he would know you know some obscure exploitation film from the freaking seventies they did, and then he would talk about it. and He was just like blowing people away with his vast knowledge of uh, all the all the all the films that the actors they brought in and did. He knew all the actors of the day uh, when he was casting Reservoir Dogs. Very very hooked. Uh, very very plugged in. Yeah, interesting. You say that you know talking about the you know the referencing obscure films and whatnot he does that a lot with with his writing and with his filmmaking itself i mean a lot of what came in what what was made up reservoir dogs was inspired by some some old films uh that you know inspired you know he loved uh like say say for instance the names the the names being driven by colors like mr you know mr white mr orange or whatnot that's from that taking was up pelham one two three the original yeah, uh, from t- 1974, t- not the John Travolta, Correct. Denzel Washington turd. From Which the I think, two, I think that one, I, I've never seen it, but I looked up like the the the, the cast list, and it, it didn't have the color names anymore. So it's just like he like mm. almost took that for himself. Like the original yeah. had that, and then the, the, the remake didn't even have it. <laughs> oh man, um, he pulls a lot from um, uh, Sergio Cabrucci, uh, particularly Django in this movie, uh, the big combo. Kansas City Confidential, I think a lot of where the plot comes from, uh, and City on Fire. Uh, City on are, Fire is yeah, the, are, yeah are, the big big one where the, the plot the, came the, from. And, yeah. Oh, oh that, okay. Yeah, I got I got my wires crossed there. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I mean, the, it, the whole idea of the heist movie itself came from Stanley Kubrick's The Killing. Um, you know, that he didn't want to. Interestingly say a, enough, this being the first Tarantino movie, The Killing was Kubrick's first. Oh, really? Film. Did yeah. didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. And, and Tarantino's it, it, even said he looks at this like his Killing. Yeah, it was well. His it's like it's not a remake or it's not he's not stealing from it. It's more of his version of that type of heist movie where it's like kind of after the fact they're dealing with 
uh, how to um, you know had the fallout or the, the of a heist gone wrong or something mm-hmm. getting you know paying it out and whatnot like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, yeah. It, you know, one thing you can always appreciate with uh, Tarantino is he really created his own way of. Uh, making movies uh the novelistic approach with chapters i mean you 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 even see it here uh early on with his very first film and that's something that's carried through to this day he he does it out of sequence with chapters um uh you know of course we know some of the 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 trademarks that it's his that that he's really originally made his in film the revisionist history uh you know the 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 standoffs at the end of films Mm -hmm. obviously inspired by good bad the ugly his favorite film of all time um i mean he dude just how he has created his own way of doing it and has changed cinema and impacted the way he has. Uh, it all started with this, man. I, dude, I, I could just talk about how amazing Tarantino oh, I know. is. You're gonna I can tell, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, I, uh, I, will, I, will, I will pivot for just a second uh, to talk about the music of, uh, of, of mm. the film. Uh, he talked about him being a composer. Not, I would say arranging how the film and the movie, uh, sorry, the film and the music in the movie work together. Uh, work together you know to, to support the scenes and whatnot uh it, they do it in such a great way i'm, I'm i only mentioned one song mm-hmm. hooked on a feeling by by blue swede mm-hmm. i think most people nowadays uh you hear that song and you're like oh guardians of the galaxy it became a huge hit from guardians back in 2014 and when i was watching the film for the pod i was like holy shit tarantino did it first like that he was the first and I looked it up. I think there was like an Allie McBeal episode that came after this. But as far as that song being used in film, uh, it's essentially Reservoir Dogs and Guardians. Now, of course, it became more popular with Guardians, but definitely Tarantino first. Um, and then another thing I'll mention uh, is the fake radio station <laughs> with the, like oh, the sounds of the 70s. You know, I love that. I, oh I yeah, it. yeah. Stephen Wright's voice. Yeah, the comedian uh, the, Stephen the, Wright. The guy from Half the guy, guy on the couch from Half Baked, by the way. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very, very funny guy. Um, but it always makes you think of like the GTA games and like the fake oh, comedians yeah. in there, or the, the fake DJs in there and, and whatnot, so, like Laszlo and, and and what have you. So I just um, I thought that was a, a great, incorpor- very cool. great decision to incorporate that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And we move on to the stars of the picture. All right, Mister Demille, I'm ready for my close-up. Starring Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Michael Madsen, and Lawrence Tierney. Uh, co-starring Eddie Bunker, Stephen Wright, uh, that provides the voice for the radios we just talked about. Lawrence Bender, uh, as a, he came here as a cop, uh, chasing uh, Mr. Pink. Mr. Pink, yeah. And uh, <laughs> Quentin Tarantino himself as Mr. Brown, uh, who is essentially only in a couple of scenes. Uh, he pr- features most prominently in the opening scene, giving the uh, <laughs> the breakdown of a Madonna, like a yeah. virgin. Uh, very memorable, even in the small part he got. I think he was originally going to play Mr. Orange, would have been more of a star-making part for him because uh, he wanted to pursue an acting career at that point. Uh, then he just lost the acting bug and just shifted completely to focusing on Yeah, I think a once the bigger names came in, I think that's probably part to do with it. Well, no, well. even after this, and like he took an interest in uh, – I mean, oh, look, he yeah. did uh, – no, I'm he just did, saying um, – we did Robert Rodriguez's film in '95, *Dust Till Dawn*. Uh, you know, uh, with yeah, he, uh, George Clooney. Um, mm-hmm. He also did. Um, he was in *Pulp Fiction* as well. So, no, he, yeah, he had a part. Of, yeah. good, good, good little sequence in that too. Um, but uh, a couple yeah, casting what ifs. Yeah, George talk to Clooney. Me. Clooney. And, well, he ended up working with him. Funny, I just mentioned that *Dust Till yeah, Dawn*. That's right. Yeah, that's playing what I said brothers. Uh huh. 
That's fun. Yeah. And John Cryer uh, was attached, I think, as Mr. Pink. To an uh, and then, Yep. Yeah. As Mr. Pink and then... Uh, Alan. Some, another prior obligation and whatnot. So, yeah. So, I mean, once Kytel got involved and started able to pull some of those names They were getting in, some names. Yeah. Uh, actors Mount Rushmore. Um, e- easy for me. I had uh, yes to Madsen and Chris Penn, and uh, that's it. And then no to Bushimi, Roth, and Kaitel. Uh Yeah, I agree. I oh, think really? you could argue that you Roth. Could argue, you could argue Roth you could because argue he, Roth. he is the kind of the lead, uh, the closest thing Roth. to it. Uh, he, he's the kind of the lead. So yeah, I, you could argue Roth. And look, I think you're maybe underappreciating, and um, maybe you know you can count on me to really uh, say that. But I think we're underappreciating. This is Tarantino's first movie, and that takes a little bit more of a prominent place in history. So uh, I, I'm going to say yeah, Roth, just because he's the fucking mm. lead in Tarantino's first movie. I think that mm. means something. Okay. I think, you know, I would say I remember him more for a smaller part, but in Pulp Fiction, you know, and that, that part in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, of course, some of the other the, the other things that he has done. Well, it's Rob a much Roy, smaller part in Pulp Fiction. He's got a much bigger part. That's what I'm films. saying. But I, I think of him more in, in, is his place in Tarantino film. Either think of that or, of course, Pulp now. More. That's fair. Uh, and then, of course, um, uh, Hateful Eight. You know, I think of him in that, mm-hmm. too. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but that being said, the bi- biggest benefactor for me is Tarantino because this is his first film, and he is technically an actor. Yeah, he's obvious. Uh, yeah. I wasn't really going to count him because he is the director, even though he is in the cast. He's he is the obvious choice. He benefited most. I mean, he went to Sundance, yes. an independent filmmaker, yes. a, a video clerk, came back a star. Um, you going to go Roth in? Is no, no. You could say Roth, Buscemi. I'm going to say Michael Madsen. He Ooh. he really his career as an actor took off after this so much so that Tarantino could not get him to play Vincent Vega in Pulp Fiction because he'd already signed on to do Wyatt Earp with uh, 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 Kevin Costner. Yeah, and, and not drifting into fan theory territory or anything, but it is uh, somewhat canon that it's Vic Vega and Vincent Vega are brothers. Brothers, uh, yes. In that realer than real uh, Tarantino universe, and there. it doesn't appear we're going to get a Vic. Uh, Vega Brothers film. I think the closest Tarantino is alluded to uh, is a graphic novel, perhaps. That would of be the, cool. the, the the Vega Brothers. Yeah. Well, Tarantino has done that before with the uh, was it the Django Zorro uh, crossover series of graphic novels. So yeah, it's possible. I I think the concept is they're in Amsterdam, like somehow mm-hmm. they end up in. I, I, I he gave a little bit more than that. That's just all I can recall. Um, uh, actors at their peak. Would you say it's Michael Madsen? I Nobody. I, I think either their hmm. people are past their prime, respectfully. They're, they're the great actors who are fortunate to have a great careers, uh, or it's before they took off. I think Michael Madsen was the rising star. So if mm-hmm. you're going to say anybody, it's that, probably yeah. him. That, well, let, let, let's not let's not forget the incredible performance he turned in for Free Willy just a year year or so later. <laughs> hey, man, he, hey, I love him in Thelma and Louise. He He's does a, uh, his work in Thelma and Louise. He just plays the boyfriend, but it's very subtle. Uh, and it's just like a good-hearted boyfriend. He's just kind of there to help. It's, it, it's a, it kind of played a little bit tough guy, too. Uh, very good work. I, it wasn't a big part in Thelma and Louise, but I, I did appreciate. Um, you're like, who is this guy? Um, yeah. No, he he's he is very good, and I'd say most known for his work in Tarantino films. He's sure. done like Species, but I always think it's funny. Free Willy, I watch that a ton because our our younger brother mm-hmm. brother and sisters they they watch that a ton. Yeah, and, they do. Uh, saw that a lot. So mm-hmm. Michael Madsen, yeah, was the uh, yeah the dad in that. Um, all right, Warren, who's your MVP? 
Uh, MVP, look, I got to go Harvey Keitel. I mean, look, yeah. this film, he, he he has the most to do here, particularly in the, the third act of the picture. Um he I could features go most prominently I with Roth. Could I, you could Roth. argue Roth. I'm going to go. Well, you also take into the fact that he's the guy that got it greenlit. I, you got to give him the MVP oh, nod if it's coming between fair. him and Roth. I mean, he's yeah. he's an actor, co-producer. He helped get this thing made. Uh, yeah, I mean, the massive empathy he shows. Like, great leads in movies have empathy. He shows a lot of empathy for Mr. Orange. That's why he breaks his code. Anytime you spot yeah. the heat 30 seconds around the corner, he has that code. He breaks that's- it. Well, that code about not sharing the names okay. and stuff. They're not yeah. supposed to do it. I mean, he breaks the, uh, the, the I mean, game. He referenced the code from Heat, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I, it's similar. It's, I mean, it's I don't know if it's as badass or iconic, but there was a code not to share your names. He shares yeah. it. He has massive empathy yeah. for Mr. Orange so much so that it blinds his uh, judgment, and he ends up being a, a fucking uh, a, a narc. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Harvey Keitel. Uh, he's the movie's heart and soul. Uh, uh, you could argue Roth, but I think Roth is a solid uh, pippin to Keitel's Jordan. Good selection there. All right, stats and accolades from Reservoir Dogs. Uh, release date, um, we'll say first, of course, it uh, was in Sundance uh, in January yeah. of 1992. Uh, and then when it got its accolades there and moved to a, we'll say, quote-unquote, wide release, uh, first um, was in 19 theaters in the U.S. And on October 23rd, 1992, would only get up to 61 theaters. That was its peak of widest release, which I found surprising. Yeah. Um, well, this is the third film from 92 that we have done, and it is our first since our since uh, season number two. Uh, we actually did Aladdin in season two, and then we did A League of Their Own in season two. So Classics. we haven't done a... A 92 film. Uh, like oh, wow. Years. And 90s tend to be, our, I think, our number one decade. So surprising that it's only yeah. been three. I think most of our 90 films are 94, 95. 94, 95, 96. Yeah. yeah that, that, uh, budget, um, it's mixed. It's between 1.2 and 3 million, I think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I would say to make the film, probably 1.2 to 1.5. And then anything in excess of that was probably marketing after it got more more notoriety there uh post sundance um opening weekend 147,839 dollars that was in 19 theaters modest uh uh, yeah modest numbers uh domestically it would go on to make 2.8 million and then it's gotten some um re-releases since then both domestically and worldwide uh, but only to the tune of about another 81,000 so 2.9 2.9 million is kind of where it's sitting at right now. I don't know if that's but, accurate because Tarantino plays that here at the New Beverly. There was actually a midnight showing uh, the Friday before we were going to record this, and I could not get tickets. So I was trying to go see Reservoir Dogs on film at Tarantino's Theater before we did this podcast. It was sold out. Couldn't get there. Midnight many, showing on many, a Friday night. How many night. seats are, is that theater? Uh, probably a couple hundred, maybe. It's a small theater. Uh, like 10 bucks, man. It's classic. It's like a that's 70s theater. So like, even if it shows, it's like two thousand dollars for every show. Two, three thousand. It's not. Gonna, it's not going to be enough to like really. Uh, move all right. What I'm saying, so, it still plays in repertory uh, theaters to this day, or whatever they're called. Well, whatever. It still plays in movie theaters. Yeah, so that's all I'm saying. I, I, uh, I get you. I get you. But I mean, Tarantino I would say, does own the damn thing. But nevertheless, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so box office rank, it was outside the top two hundred. I could not find it on Box Office Mojo. Did not rank that year. It's the first unranked box office mojo film we have done from any year um tagline five total strangers team up for the perfect crime they don't know each other's name but they got each other's number 
It was good until the last phrase. Okay. It was, yeah, it was yeah. on the one sheet. It was on the one sheet. Uh, Runtime, one hour and 39 minutes. I'm sure Tarantino didn't have the pool to approve marketing. Uh, I'm, I'm not. You're not going to hear me rip on the marketing. Uh, uh, that's a Miramax marketing person they're pulling. Maybe. Yeah. Perhaps. Um, one hour and 39 I, I've kind of heard that Tarantino no. got more involved in stuff like that, even how films were submitted for awards. Uh, you know, like his films were submitted, I think. Pulp Fiction was submitted for drama and it should have been submitted for musical and comedy at the Golden Globe. So there's been instances where, you know, Tarantino certainly as he became more prominent, no doubt got more involved uh, on the, those kind of decisions uh, inside and outside the film. Uh, rating R, of course. Uh, body count 12. Ah! All five Reservoir Dogs die. Mm. Uh, and 269 F-bombs. Fuck you! Nice. Yeah. Kind of there with the uh, Tarantino Scorsese, uh, you know, f bomb high, high high ticker count. Uh, scores you of the film. You just become run- numb to it after yeah. a while. You're just like oh, whatever, you know. Like over the Part of the course for the gangster films in the '90s. Um, scores of the films. Rotten Tomatoes, ninety percent, uh, and a Metacritic eighty-one. No cinema score. Uh, and critics loved it. It was a film festival circuit darling. Uh, it made QT a star uh, after this film came out at Sundance, uh, and it was. Uh, beloved by critics uh so everybody liked it um but again it didn't really hit with audiences it was kind of people in the industry loved it and and some people discovered it like a gym but it wasn't again until we all know pulp fiction truly marked the arrival of rock star legendary like, great director and tarantino yeah, yeah yeah yeah. people when this came out it didn't quite have the meteoric impact uh for tarantino even though it got him in the game that that, that pulp fiction ultimately would that that was his coming out party Awards of the film won one ACCA award for the award circuit community and had another five nominations at that one award show, but that made up most of its uh, prestigious awards. Uh, another 11 wins and 18 nominations, most of those like Saturn Awards after the fact. So not a lot of recognition. Um, you, know, you could argue like there's probably a you know Best Supporting Actor nomination in here for Roth or Cart uh, Keitel maybe. I mean, those campaigns, though, they take some push by the studio. Well, there wasn't a studio in this case. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's a, yeah, it had been at Sundance Darling, but it just that there wasn't the, the you know, that, 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 that train behind to, to kind of you know, have those campaigns uh, for some of your higher, higher brow award shows and whatnot. So. Yeah. All right, music of the year for 1992. Grammy record of the year was Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. And then the number one song that week... Is the end of the road. Bob Oysterman. Please uh, refrain from doing that because I had nah. no idea what it was. You did not help. Uh, <laughs> Think about dogs barking. Hang on a second. <laughs> Movies of the year, uh, top of the box office. Number one, Aladdin. Number two, Home Alone 2. Number three, Batman Returns. And number four, Lethal Weapon 3. So already a lot of sequels there in the <laughs> yeah. early 90s. Um, Sounds familiar 30 years later. Yeah, honorable mentions, White Man Can't Jump, Alas and Mohicans, A Few Good Men, Sister Act, Basic Instinct, Dracula, Brames Stoker's uh, Dracula, uh, Gary Oldman, Coppola, yeah. Gary Oldman, yeah. Keanu Wayne's Reeves World, and uh, Under Siege, Ooh, yeah. Die Hard on a Boat, Seagal, yeah. Steven Seagal, what a shithead. Uh, Oscar winner for Best Picture, Unforgiven, and the Razzie winner for Worst Picture, Shining Through, starring Michael Douglas and Melanie Griffith. Never heard of it. Never heard of it either. Yeah. Average movie ticket price uh, in 1992, $4.15. Adjusted for inflation, $7.36. So, 
pretty good deal. Although today was uh, National Cinema Day, and I saw Oppenheimer for four dollars. That's nuts. In seventy millimeter. In seventy millimeter. Fuck yeah. man, how did you? Yeah. Do, how'd you pull that it's, one off? Oh my god. Oh, it's god. great. So it's a long one. Bucks. Is it's it a good? long one. It's great. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. Um, and uh, Vince of 1992, uh, the Olympic Games in Barcelona uh, with the USA Dream Team: Michael Ooh, Jordan, yes. Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. The best, some goats there. Yes. Yeah. Jay Leno debuted on the Tonight Show after Johnny hmm. Carson hung it up after wow. 29 years. The Cold War was declared over. Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit was released. Iconic wow. music yeah. record. Yeah. And Bill Clinton was elected president of the United States. All right. Best scenes and lines from Reservoir Dogs. Warren, you got your work cut out for you with the Tarantino film here. Um, so I'm limiting you to one honorable mention. No, you can't do that. No. <laughs> no, I can't do that. No, I'm Fuck kidding. Um, we do three for each movie. You're going to disgrace Tarantino I think no by more limiting than three. Me. No more than three. Uh, but we'll let's see. start with your runner-up for best scene. My runner-up, uh, look, it's the opening scene. They're at the diner. but It's a long part. You could pick out a couple parts of this thing because sure. you got to dissect it because yeah. they, they talk about the Madonna, uh, you know, Tipping, like a virgin. Yeah. It's gonna, my, my mind is going to be Mr. Pink explaining why he doesn't tip. Come on, throw in a buck. Uh-uh, I don't tip. You don't tip? No, I don't believe in it. You don't believe in tipping? Do you know what these chicks make? They make shit. Don't give me that. She don't make enough money, she can quit. <laughs> I don't even know a fucking Jew would have the balls to say that. Now, let me just get this straight. You don't ever tip, huh? I don't tip because society says I have to. All right, I mean, I'll tip if somebody really deserves a tip. If they really put forth the effort, I'll give them something extra. But, I mean, it's tipping automatically. Uh, it's for the birds. <laughs> I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're just doing their job. Hey, this girl was nice. She was okay. I mean, she wasn't anything special. What's special? Take you in the back and suck your dick. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go over 12% for that. Hey, look, I ordered coffee, right? Now, we've been here a long fucking time. She's only filled my cup three times. I mean, when I order coffee, I want it filled six times. Six times? Well, you know, what if she's too fucking busy? Words too fucking busy shouldn't be in a waitress's vocabulary. Excuse me, Mr. Pink, but the last fucking thing you need is another cup of coffee. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I mean, these ladies aren't starving to death. They make minimum wage. And I used to work minimum wage, and when I did, I wasn't lucky enough to have a job that society deemed tip-worthy. You don't care they'd count on your tips to live? You know what this is? It's the world's smallest violin playing just for the waitresses. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. These people bust their ass. This is a hard job. So is working at McDonald's, but you don't feel the need to tip them, do you? Well, why not? They're serving you food. But no, society says, don't tip these guys over here, but tip these guys over here. That's bullshit. Waitressing is the number one occupation for female non-college graduates in this country. It's the one job basically any woman can get and make a living on. The reason is because of their tips. Fuck all that. Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm very sorry the government taxes their tips. That's fucked up. That ain't my fault. I mean, it would appear that waitresses are one of the many groups the government fucks in the ass on a regular basis. I mean, if you show me a piece of paper that says the government shouldn't do that, I'll sign it. Put it to a vote, I'll vote for it. But what I won't do is play ball. And this non-college bullshit you're giving me, I got two words for that. Learn to fucking type. Because if you're expecting me to help out with the rent, you're in for a big fucking surprise. Just convince me. Give me my dollar back. Hey! Leave the dollars there. 
The whole conversation in exchange is great, and uh, you're just really getting a sense of fucking how great the, the, the script is. You're, you just, you're just, you've never seen a movie where people talk about stuff like this before when it came out. Keep in mind, uh, I, I people talking about such, you know, everyday life in, in this way. I, I love it that this came up in like a, a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode with Larry not wanting a tip, and Mr. Pink and and and, and Larry David have a lot in common. I feel like. In that regard, um, you know, in a different life, uh, you know, probably related. or non-criminal life, yeah, could be. Um, no, I do like that a lot, uh, and I've kind of adopted that to a degree. Like you get you get prompted for tips for everything. It's like you go to a counter and order something, and you get no. There's no service. There's no waiter, waiter or waitress or anything like that, and they. They want you to oh, tip. Oh, the tablet will prompt you to tip. The ta- yeah. It's in there like, oh, you know, 20%, 25%. No, zero tip, nothing. For what? You don't you don't deserve a tip for that. I mean, if you're going to. No. Anyway, sorry, channel my, my Mr. Pink there. Um, good choice. Uh, my runner-up is also towards the beginning of the film, uh, but it would be the, the slow motion walk. Uh, I love that shot. It's classic. You've seen it. Um, you know, parodied before. I'd say most notably in Swingers. Yeah. Uh, but you get the you know the introduction. Our next movie. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, ironic, but you get the introduction of all the characters, a little freeze frame there, and whatnot. Uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's just very cool, very stylish. Uh, you kind of know what you're. Yes. For. Yeah. Well, I had that as an honorable mention. So. Yeah. Uh, what's your uh, What's your winner? My winner uh, is Mr. White and Mr. Pink arguing about who's the rat. So who's the rat this time? Mr. Blue? Mr. Brown? <laughs> Joe? You know, listen, I mean, Joe set this whole thing up. Maybe he set it up to sell nah, it. I don't buy it. Me and Joe go back a long time. I can tell you definitely, Joe didn't know a fucking thing about this bullshit. Hey, look, I've known Joe since I was a kid, okay? And me saying he definitely had nothing to do with it is ridiculous. I mean, I can say I definitely didn't do it because I know what I did or I didn't do. But I cannot definitely say that about anybody else because I don't definitely know. For all I know, you're the rat. For all I know, you're the fucking rat. <laughs> all right, now you're using your fucking head. For all we know, he's the rat. Hey, that kid in there is dying from a fucking bullet I saw him take. So don't you be calling him a rat. Look, I'm right, okay? Somebody's a fucking rat. Particularly when Mr. Pink's like, now you're using your fucking head. Like, I, I just, that, I love all that. That's it's great. That's a deep cut. That's someone who's that's a favorite of someone who's seen the movie a lot and dissected yeah. it. Just like that's a, that's a scene. It's an actor scene. Something fucking so well written, so well acted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very good. Maybe well, you're then, the fucking yeah. rat. Now you're using your fucking head like all that. Yeah. Oh, love it. That's 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 very good. Yeah, they man, they're good. Um, my winner is is going to be. It's a lengthier scene there, uh, but it is one that is important to the story and it. When I'd only seen this movie like one time, and you, you, when you haven't seen a movie a lot, or you've seen it in bits and pieces, or, or maybe not all the way through, you, you have certain scenes that jump out at you because mm-hmm. you maybe can't remember the whole film very well. And there was a couple that stood out to me. One is the one that you mentioned about the the, the tipping. Uh, two is uh, uh, the um, the shootout at the end, uh, and then one, another one is the storytelling by Mister Orange. And have him going into the bathroom with the police and the dogs in there, and how he's rehearsing that story and it's getting better and better, and him, uh, you know, learning the beats of it. That whole scene there with his little anecdote uh, of his story is, is my winner. Mm. I know it's long, but I love that. I don't know if you remember back in '86, there was a major fucking drought. 
Nobody had anything. People were living on resin, smoking the wood in their pipes for months. This chick had a bunch. And she's begging me to sell it. So I told her, I wasn't going to be Joe the pot man anymore, but I would take a little bit and sell it to my close, close, close friends. She agreed to that, said, we keep the same arrangement as before, 10% free pot for me, as long as I helped her out that weekend. She had a brick of weed she was selling. She didn't want to go to the buy alone. Her brother usually goes with her, but he's in county unexpectedly. What for? His traffic tickets gone warrant. They stopped him for something, found warrants on him to the county. Now, she doesn't want to walk around alone with all that weed. I don't want to do this. I have a very bad feeling about it. She keeps asking me, keeps asking me, keeps asking me. Finally, I said, okay, because I'm sick of hearing it. Now, we're picking the guy up at the train station. Wait a minute. You go to the train station to pick up the buyer, the weed on you? A guy needed it right away. Don't ask me why. Anyway, we get to the train station, and we're waiting for the guy. Now, I'm carrying the weed around in one of those little carry-on bags. I got to take a piss. So I tell a connection, I'll be right back. I'm going to the boys' room. So I walk into the men's room, and who's standing there? Four Los Angeles County sheriffs and a German shepherd. They're waiting for you? No, it's just a bunch of cops hanging out in the men's room talking. When I walk through the door, they all stop what they were talking about, and they looked at me. <laughs> That's hard, man. That's a fucking hard situation. <laughs> um, all right, uh, honorable mentions for you. Uh... Mr. Blonde's my na- my, uh, Mr. Blonde's uh, maniacal dance while torturing the uh, LAPD officer. Yeah, uh, that I, whole bit. I, I mean, dude, when he talks into the, he cuts the ear off and then talks into it and laughs. It's, that's fucking great. And that that was, I think, I was improv by Michael Madsen. I think it was an improv, but uh, that dude, that whole bit. Uh, like when he talked into the ear, like, hey, can you hear that? <laughs> And he already uh, cut it off. Oh man, that you was got Steelers up. wheels uh, stuck in the middle with you playing. Yeah, oh yeah, it's so good. I can't, I can't hear that song without and not think of that scene. Yeah. You can't not think of that scene. Um, another honorable mention is this film. Honorable mentions True Romance when he uh, when Mister White talks about Alabama. Yeah, 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 yeah. So love that. Um, and then, oh man, this is this almost was my it was my it is almost competed for run up when they're arguing about the names, like uh, I I, no, I don't want to be Mister Pink. Can I be can I be something else? No, no, no. I can't do that because then everybody wants to be Mister Black. Uh, it's like the whole thing, all that it's fucking great. All the actors are great in that scene. Oh, yeah, it's so know. good. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, that uh... can we trade? No, nobody's trading. <laughs> I almost said that as a runner up. Yeah, it's very good. Very good. Is that it? Yep. All right. Well, you you got two of my three. The only other one I had is the also the opening scene, uh, the cafe scene, but not the tipping part. What, the, the Madonna. The Madonna, yeah. Yeah, and like that's Tarantino's moment to shine. I actually had that down, but I didn't want to steal all the honorable mentions. Thank I figured you. you were going to have that. You, gave yeah. me, you threw me a bone there. Thank yeah, you. I did have that. If you weren't going to do it, I was going to slide it in here to give the uh, give it justice. We can't yeah. leave that out. All right. All right. Toby, who the fuck is Toby? Like a virgin's not about some sensitive girl who meets a nice fella. That's what True Blue's about. No, granted, no argument about that. What's True Blue? No, you ain't heard True Blue. It was a big ass informant. I don't even follow that touch of the pop shit. And even I've heard of True Blue. Okay, so I even saying heard of it. You know, what I asked is how's it go? Excuse me for not being the world's biggest Madonna fan. Personally, I can do without her. I used to like her early stuff. Borderline. 
once you got off in the back pocket on the preach phase, I tuned out. But you guys are like making me lose my train of thought here. I was saying something. What was it? Oh, Toby's that little Chinese girl. That was her last name. What's that? That's an old address book I found on a coat I haven't worn in a coon's age. What was that name? What the fuck was I talking about? So True Blue was about a guy, uh, such a girl that meets a nice guy, but like a virgin with a metaphor for big dicks. Hey, let me tell you what like a virgin's about. It's all about this coos who's a regular fuck machine. Now I'm talking morning, day, night, afternoon. Dick, 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 dick. How many dicks is that? A lot. And one day, she meets this John Holmes motherfucker, and it's like, whoa, baby. I mean, this cat is like Charles Bronson in The Great Escape. He's digging tunnels. All right, now she's getting this serious dick action. And she's feeling something she ain't feeling since forever. Pain. Pain. Chew, Toby, chew. It hurts. It hurts her. It shouldn't hurt. You know, her pussy should be bubbling up by now. But when this cat fucks her, it hurts. It hurts just like it did the first time. You see, the pain is reminding the fuck machine what it was once like to be a virgin. Hence, like a virgin. A lot of these scenes just showcase the brilliance of Tarantino's script. I mean, they really do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it's tough to narrow down. Um, so best lines from the film. I, I will start this one off with uh, the runner-up, and, and I'm going to piggyback off of your runner-up for best scene. Uh, but it's because I didn't call that out specifically. I only had it as a line. Uh, it was the part where he, uh, where Mr. Pink says, do you know what this is? Uh, it's the world's smallest violin, you know, playing just for the waitress there. And he's rubbing his fingers together. That I, I feel like I've used that a lot. Uh, just, you know. Yeah, it's with your friends, heard. you know. Yeah, making, but it, it, that whole bit's great. It's just there, yeah. It's almost what's got to be in scene because the whole back and forth with everyone else. It is, is but I these people bust their it. fucking ass. You know, like I, that whole thing. Yeah, I, it is. It gives you I every perspective it. in the argument. That's the genius of it. It's not one sided. Isolated this. I isolated the line. So okay. Okay. Deal okay. With it. All right. What's your runner up? My runner up is by Mister uh, Mister Orange when I. Uh, no, excuse me. My runner-up is by Mr. Blonde when he's like, Are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Or are you going to bite? I it yeah, just, uh, the, the playfulness uh, of the character in that moment, and you kind of get a sense of what we're in store for, how fucking crazy he really is. I, I love that. And he's just sipping on his drink. Um, yeah, w- well played, well performed. Uh, one of my favorites. Yeah. And it's not an easy line to pull off. I mean, it's kind of on the paper. It's, you know, it's, you got to crush. It's not the easiest you, you, delivery. You do. You got to have, you know, it's playful but psychotic at the same time. That's not an easy line to straddle there. So, no, it's yeah, not. It's good. Um, all right. My winner is, um, I knew it instantly when I was uh, replaying the film here, uh, is by Mr. White uh, when he says, Shit. <laughs> you shoot me in a dream, you better wake up and apologize. <laughs> that's a fucking great line man that's such a good line that's a Muhammad Ali reference oh that's right it is you, yeah you hit me you better wake up and apologize oh yeah that's a good point uh, I know you wanted to say more about that but you're eating so it's okay you know take well, your time you know, we're not we're not in a hurry or anything Go I'm ahead. done but uh, listen Okay. that was my winner Oh, that was, so we matched up there. Okay. Oh, yeah. My winner. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I see what you were doing. You were, you know, kind of building up some anticipation. I had to. A little bit. A little suspense. Uh, yeah. Okay. No, that is the best line. Yeah. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. All right. And uh, I'll keep it going because uh, I've only got one honorable mention that has not been 
uh, talked about thus far. Uh, it, it is between Mr. Pink and Mr. White, specifically Mr. Pink when he says, Now I don't want to kill anybody. If I got to get out that door and you're standing in my way, one way or the other, you're getting out of my way. Essentially talking about them not being a murderous psychopath. They'll murder when they have to, uh, but uh, they're not They're not on Mr. Blonde's level. Yeah. Um, a couple honorable mentions for me uh, by um, a Joe when he said, he's dead as Dillinger. Um, love that line. And The then delivery my, uh, on that line is, is better than the yeah. line. Oh, for I, sure. His delivery is great. And then... Um, this is by Chris Penn. I love his. It, um, it's getting because his line delivery is so raw, authentic, and truthful in the moment. Stop pointing that gun at my fucking dad! Like there's that panic in there. Um, yeah. I love that. It, it just, oh, it's just that pitch standoff. perfect, Chris Penn. Yeah, dude. That, but that that line delivery is just, mm-hmm. oh, it's so good. And we we didn't mm. we didn't mention that in best scenes, but that standoff very of course good bad and the ugly uh, between the three can, of them. There, that's in True Romance. That's in yep. Hateful Eight. I mean, yep. that's in uh, all, all. I mean, a lot of the Tarantino films he has the the, the, the classic standoff. So I know we didn't talk about, but that line is pretty much set right before shit goes down. Moving on to Judge Bob's recasting court, where Warren and I will attempt to recast this film with today's stars. All rise for the Honorable Judge Bob presiding. Nothing honorable about sitting over this. No, no. we, we got to change my script up for that. It's uh, you're slipping, Bob. Uh, you're I'm slipping. slipping. And I'm just going to say it, it, this started um, last season. You guys uh, it, picked the most impossible recasting movies of all time. And then you you've commended you us threw this me though. into like having to make decisions. Right. And then a lot mm-hmm. of times, you know, you're picking between bad and worse. So it's, you know, you guys aren't helping me very much either. You know, you, you, you are the you are the friends yeah. that you hang out with. I mean, whoever said we were friends, Bob, you're, you're here to do a job. Yeah, this is a show. <laughs> this is yeah, professional. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Don't have a lot of staff it, it, parties. It is. It is a <sighs> thankless job. Yeah. I will give you that. Yes. And I, I, I know that we very, no matter how you how you go, we're going to give you shit. So. Just which, yeah, which? and and uh, recasting uh, Reservoir Dogs. This would be fantastic. So, like I said, nothing honorable about tonight's work. However, gentlemen, well, I, I read the script. We you know. guys already know we, it's we QT. Know. It's a, I'm reading the script. We know you did. Yeah, Tarantino. I'm reading. Come on. That's why I got pushed back. I had to find time to read the script. <laughs> no, he was like, well, no, no. He was like, he got a script, and he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not the first draft, okay? This is the final production. I need all drafts from beginning to end to fully do my research. Yeah, I need the handwritten version, you know, because Tarantino, he handwrites the script before he types it up. All right. You know why he does that, right? You know why he handwrites it? The pen is his antenna to God. So is that that's what real? he says. That's what okay. he says. Well, hey, I'm hard, I hard to argue with him with the itself, track record yeah. he has. Well, gentlemen, you may be seated. Recasting court is in session. Tonight, we will hear a recasting for Joe Cabot, Nice Guy Eddie, Mr. Pink, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Orange, and Mr. White. Warren, the ball is... Perpetually. has been for a while. Yeah. For a while. Yeah. Phil started out on a heater yeah, and just, um, you know, we'll yeah. see how this goes. So, well, who do you have cast yeah. as uh, well, Joe I'm, uh, Cabot? Omaha! Omaha! I'm calling audibles tonight. Oh, I'm God. Like, 
You can't do this. This is not my fair. Joe Cabot. Uh, this is not what I submitted. I um, calling a eleventh um, hour change. I really like the one you or submitted. I, had, I really liked it actually. I had Jonathan Banks. That's so good, Mike from Breaking Bad. Better call yeah, Saul. Yeah, from Breaking Bad and very. Yeah, but, but because I want to keep it in the Tarantino family, I'm going Bruce Dern. <laughs> I fucking love it. No, I like that. Um, I mean, kind of. You, you want to go with a guy who who can be a believable asshole. You know, who is leading the crew. Uh, calling the shots can kind of round up this whole group together here. Um, and Jonathan Banks was pretty good. Fuck. It was pretty good. That's why I was like surprised you pivoted away from that. Uh, really good. Uh, and I'm just I'm, I'm pulling out the heavy hitters for the something like this. I mean, someone that is leader. I'm going De Niro, baby. Robert De Niro is my Joe Cabot. Really? Yeah. Really. The uh, greatest independent film of all time, made for 1.5 million at the time. You're going to get Robert fucking De Niro. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you're an idiot <laughs> it, because listen. you listen because this is so stupid. Listen, they got a big name actor to get this movie greenlit, Harvey yeah. Keitel, and if the, De Niro was going to be in this movie, the, the the juicy part for a star is Mr. Listen, White. We're just saying we're recasting this film. We didn't say we're recasting it with the same budget. All right. So don't don't try to. Yeah, I'm just saying know. practicality. De Niro is probably wanting to play the. Practicality uh, has no, no place great in the recasting. Uh, yeah, no. I'm definitely seeing De Niro wanting to play Mr. White. Sands, you know, back in '91, '92. De Niro, baby. I mean, I had this easy in the beginning until you called an audible. Yeah, Banks. Or, and I think was, you had the. I think you had the right casting. Yeah, Bank, I, Banks was solid, dude. That's unbelievable. I'm gonna have to give a nod to um, De Niro on this. I don't know what, what? The De Niro would never play was. this part. It doesn't matter. It doesn't I, un- I understand. I I get it. I agree. I agree I just, too. You fucking I agree. moron, Philip. I mean, <laughs> you had I the per- you had the great recast. I saw you had the perfect recast together. It's terrible. <sighs> you shot yourself in the foot here, buddy. Weren't you and I? I grew up liking to watch movies together. We weren't even like forced to do it by some sort of like blood code or anything like that. Yeah. And we could well, I, I showed you what good what movies you were. Do? You met you me, you were lost. The whole, yeah. It's fucking, I showed you goddamn Scorsese, Tarantino, Spielberg, oh, Nolan, PTA, the Cohen brothers. Cohen brothers. All right. Uh Phil? Keep it rolling. Mm. Who do you have as nice guy Eddie? Sneaky fun role to play. Like if you get the pick, sneaky fun. Yeah, role. if you get the pick of role mm-hmm. to play in this movie, this would be kind of a fun one to go with. This would be. I mean, it's, this is a very juicy mm-hmm. role, and I I'd read that on a um, I guess a read through or something like you know. How sometimes they'll get actors today to to um, re go through like a, a script they did a lot during the, the pandemic they post them on youtube and stuff this is one done for back in like 2012 i'm wanting to say for reservoir dogs as part of like a series they did and they had anthony anderson play the nice guy eddie role and, and i i saw that after i re- did the recastings and, and the more i thought about it, i was like man that's really good he would be a great nice guy eddie anthony anderson would however i'd already submitted my pick i'm not gonna be like warren con audible here you know i'm gonna Chick, uh, pick what you know the one I chose to, to to begin with, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say Jonah Hill is my nice guy. Eddie. Uh, yeah, Jonah Hill's my nice guy. Eddie came oh, came really? to me right away. Okay. Again? What? Did we just become?
become best friends. Yep. When I said it to who I was watching the movie with, they should, oh, yeah, perfect. Uh, yeah, ever, anyone I've said that to, they automatically see it. He's, he's low-hanging fruit. It just popped in my head right there. So I think uh, It's perfect. I mean, it's just how do you beat it? That like you guys, yeah. I mean that's uh that's such a good casting for that, and again, so juicy. I think he I love and he would be. He's role. the actor who would be in a QT film. Keep in mind, uh, QT had a bigger role in uh, in store for him with Django, ended yeah. up being a, a little throwaway cameo, but still, actually, my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> the fa- favorite scene that doesn't exist, yeah. But no, you the my script, favorite so you scene in the movie is the, when he's on the hill in his little cameo, and they're planning on ambushing oh, uh, Django I, I and uh, Doctor King the- Schultz. The other character that where he got oh, caught instead. No, no, when he played uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah, married uh, Broomhilda. <laughs> yes, yes, and then Calvin takes him. Yeah, script's fucking gritty, man. Uh, all right. Uh, well, Phil, I guess technically the uh, ball is still in your court. Who do you have cast here for Mister Pink? Technically, yeah, Mister Pink, probably my favorite role in the film. Uh, I mean, so so many great parts, uh, well written parts in the movie. Uh, however, Mr. Pink, Bushimi, of course, fantastic in the role. Uh, I wanted to pick someone who could also be that type of, just, he's kind of a sleaze ball. He's a cheapskate. Maybe he's a liar. You don't know. Um, but not to be trusted, that's for certain. I went with Bob Odenkirk. I did keep it in the Better Call Saul Breaking Bad family, Warren. I didn't pivot away. I love Bob Odenkirk as my Mr. Pink. Yeah. Okay. Um,. You call him I, liable? Uh, nah. So I had Lakeith Stanfield. Um, but yeah, used yeah. Him. Listen, I yeah, I've already used him. I gotta go, John Bernthal here, man. I, I, I when you're thinking of badass guys, uh, yeah, I'm you calling think an Bernthal here. for Pink. Yeah, yeah. You're wow. Pink. You're just you're just you're full of audibles tonight, Mr. Yeah, man. Omaha. Yeah, Bernthal. Wow, Bernthal. Okay. Bernthal. Okay, I do think Bernthal has a place in this movie, but it's not Mr. Pink. You got you got the judge all discombobulated. You see what I did there? Discom. He had to go to his he had to, he had to go to his court uh, chambers no, no, and listen, look shit up. Discombobulated. Yeah, put a lot of put a lot of prep into these really going into it. You guys yeah. have really. Uh... Don't no 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 no. Don't say you guys. I'm st- I'm sticking with mine that I submitted. I don't know. I feel like the host of yeah, this QT, show. Yeah, QT. I, I kind salute of, uh, sleep over this shit. Down on the the pregame notes here. I, I, I can't uh, listen. I, I, I what listen, do you mean we're playing the process? The it says the Bengals. <laughs> the process for those listening. The process is Warren and I. We share our picks with each other. I don't know. No one cares. But you know, I mix I mix them up and then I give them to Bob. Okay, so he doesn't know who picked who, but he at least knows who the picks are. And Warren's over here calling his second audible and three picks here. Yeah. Well, you know, <clears throat> whatever it takes to win. How did it work out for, either, for the first I, I just think, I think Bernthal's a badass, man. Badass. Yeah, he is. And I feel like Mr. Pink's kind of accidentally a little bit lucky. Like, he's like, I don't know. There's something about it. I think they're all kind of badass. If you see the scene where he shoots the cop and takes the car, yeah, I mean, Jesus they're Christ, all man. Yeah, I just, they're, they're all badasses. But there's a certain... Uh, Fuck, man. You just play a little different. It's hard to it's hard to recast someone that's going to have the same type of character dynamic the as Steve Buscemi. I mean, he is one of He's one. Amazing. He's one of one, man. God. You're going to have to make the character a little different. He's so amazing. Um, I agree. I agree. I'm going to have to give the nod to Odenkirk on this one. I. God damn it. 
I think there's a place for Bernthal in this movie. I do. I just. Um, yeah. Whatever. All right, moving on, Phil. Yeah, uh, that that place for Bernthal is for Mr. Blonde, the Michael Madsen character, and that's who I selected as my as my Mr. Blonde. That Bernthal's that's where he should be. Warren, who do you have cast as the psychopath? <sighs> well, you know, listen. I'm gonna cast myself. That's right, <laughs> goddammit. It's the Are only right? way I'm getting into oh a Tarantino God. movie. I'm casting me. Y'all go fuck yourselves. It's the only way I'm getting in a Tarantino movie. It is a, a it. cast of unknowns. It's his first film. I love I'm it. Not, I have no chance at any other Tarantino film. Let's face it, guys. This is my only shot. <laughs> it's That's an, so it's an indie picture uh, casting unknowns. I, come on. I, I, this is my way in. I'm doing it. I'm, I love I'm it. fully committed. I love it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. Cast, crew, people out there. Um. This might be the only character with choreography that you could actually pull off. I mean, I have seen you cut a rug, yeah. and it is not a thing of beauty. It is not. No, it is Ladies not. and gentlemen, it is, <laughs> it is not ugly. Nope. It is not sad. It is just not well put together. It was not made to be. And the dance moves, walking up, the whole thing. Yeah. I'm giving the casting for Mr. Blonde to Warren Paul. Yes, I won one. Yes, I, I'm fine with that. You know, that's fine. Yes, I'm in a Tarantino movie. And you're getting the role. I mean, he's paying me scale. Second, Let's not get it twisted. Listen, I'm making scale. The second he sees you dancing, walking up there, he's like, "This is my guy." This yeah, is my psychopath. Yeah. You no, know, because me and Michael Madsen are probably two of the worst uh, dancing actors. <laughs> like seriously, yeah. like he's so bad, and I'm 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 probably way worse. Listen, <laughs> so. the, the 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 Vincent Vega got all the. Got all the dance moves in that. Family. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Vic was shorted for sure. Um, all right, Warren, you're back in. Wow, baby. Yeah, baby. If we need that, that's worth. I don't even care if I lose now. I'm, I'm in a Tarantino movie, guys. I got recast. We need a tiebreaker, Mr. Orange, director, the greatest in the world, and I'm in his movie. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm fantasizing. Uh, please hey, continue. Is... Mr. Orange will be our tiebreaker. Shall we need one? So oh, keep that in okay. mind. Um. Warren, who do you have cast as Mr. Orange? Uh, my Mr. Orange? I went with Bill Hader. Oh, that's good. I think the, the complexity of the character, the duality, kind of playing both sides, Bill Hader would be great at this. Uh, I love I love Hader and the, the many layers he has as an actor. He's multifaceted. Of course, Barry, I would say, was the first time many got to see him step outside of the comedic role but he is he's so good um i, I do like that i i, I did he's believable as a cop undercover that's the thing like yeah. you can see hater doing that yeah I, and i i wanted to have that in mind as well someone that has got the charisma to be a believable undercover cop that can actually like go undercover and sell it you know um i went with taron egerton as my what? mr orange what do you mean really? what he's great he's great yeah. but i don't know about I don't know. I'll see him at this point. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. The mm. scene where he's telling the story. Oh yeah. It'd be great. Mm. Serve that one right up for the judge yeah. too, didn't you? Just spike it and tell him how much it sucks. I, I, you know, it's it's okay. 
if you give me a little credit on your pick, that doesn't mean you automatically lose it. Okay, I gave you a little credit on Hater. Yeah, Bill Hater's. Okay? This is a specific character, and Hater's fits that <sighs> specificity. That, that that that's that's the fallback argument. It's the specificity. No, it is. It's uh, I mean, the more specific, the better. Uh, that you want to go with an actor if if you can, who can uh, try to embody some of those same um, mm. you know, characteristics or play yeah. you. Know. Well, this Mr. Orange Casting, I believe, has the range to do just about anything you put in front of him, as he has proven time and time again. Bill, Aaron Egerton's taking this one home. What? Tough tough pick on this one, guys. I think this is probably some of the strongest recasting you had. Hater was great. Love the hater. hater. That was a real, like, oh, my God. I really love that. Oh, my God. But I just, I don't know. I, yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah, we don't even want to know your reasoning. Just move on. That Egerton feels so, well. Terrence got uh, his hair is the same color as Tim Roth, so I went with uh, I went with Terrence. I would rather sleep with Terrence Egerton. Bill so Hader was in a uh, It movie, man. That's big. He's he's doing movies too. Yeah, Hader's huge. We're, it, oh no, Hader's great. No, no this, this is this is a great not, pick. And he has unbelievable range. I mean, I'm a little I, biased. I have photo doubled for him. <laughs> I just, I think Hater's amazing. I love that guy. Um, I think it's so good. Taron Egerton feels like a QT character, though. I mean, that guy. Yeah. I just, mm. okay. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Okay. Leave it at that. And Phil, since you've already got this one, go ahead and mail it in for us one more time. Who do you have cast as Mr. White? Mr. White, uh, the most difficult recasting. Kaitel does, he's so good in the part. Uh, this is the most well rounded badass. You know, we, we talked earlier, they're all badasses, but, you know, Mr. The, White. This is the most it, gangster of the crew. He is the most yeah. badass, well put yes. together, complete gangster. Yeah. He's the Kobe he's of the got, bunch. Right. And he's got uh, his, you know, the loyalties in the right spot, although, albeit misguided, but, you know, he has got a, a great. How to put it? I don't know, but criminal head on his shoulders. As far as like, he's got the right mentality and approaches. He's a professional, consummate professional. I went with Mahershala Ali as my Mr. White. He has got the the, the chops to pull to pull this part off. All right, Warren, who do you have cast here? He's so quiet and reserved. He plays more reserved characters. I, I just Mr. White's a little bit more of a louder but i'm not saying he, he can i'm just i just haven't seen him do it he tends to play a more of a quiet demeanor but, but mr white is very controlled in the film for the nah, most part whatever I, dude I, they fucking the scream at each other no, what are you talking end, about he does, but, yeah. uh he loses his shit all right um my mr white probably i mean i think a boardwalk empire and it's been a while long enough where it'd be interesting to see him play a different gangster and something else uh, in a different tone, different light. Uh, Bobby Cannavale is my uh, Mr. White. And uh, when you're casting a Tarantino movie, you got your lead. Keep in mind this guy, uh, Scorsese, handpicked for his um, what's show on HBO about music. It did one season. Phil, back me up. Vinyl. Vinyl. Uh, yeah. So Bobby, I mean, he's uh, definitely had a run at being a leading man. He's, he was in The Irishman. He's been in a lot of good movies. He's been I love everything the, I've yeah. seen him in. He's Bobby been great. Bobby Cannavale's great. Uh, no, I, I found out the other the other day he's married to Rose Byrne. Had yeah, no dude. No, listen. So listen, guys. When I worked on the crew of Angie Tribeca, I worked on the set the day that Rose Byrne and Bobby Cannavale were playing uh, husband and wife on Angie Tribeca, and it was like ridiculous. <laughs> and she goes, "How'd your day go, honey?" She he was like, "Kick ass and take names." And he jumped up, grabbed a guy, and he kicked him in the butt and pointed at him. And the guy goes, "Larry," and then he walked away and he sat back down. The shit was fucking hilarious. <laughs> he's I mean, got some kid. comedic chops. He's great. <laughs> He's it was so good. great. Oh, I lost it. No, they were really funny. Um, 
yeah so uh yeah that's my mr white man that's uh that's i i mean i mean it's a pointless uh, win for me i probably should have sandbagged him but you know it's <sighs> what you want to call another audible? No, I, I just want to look movie. back at, at this, like, because if Warren doesn't call an audible and he sticks to his thing here, um, with the recent Bobby Cannaval win, he would have won the episode. God damn it! That's true. You would have yeah. actually. You would have won. I already won, guys. Episode. I'm in the movie. I'm in the I'm movie. In the movie. <laughs> I got recasted, motherfuckers. <laughs> I think he was playing a long game there. The, the sympathy was like, oh, man, he's lost. The, you know, he tied one, but he lost the other two. Like, I had to throw him a bone here. I was trying to keep the, movie, the, you know? the pod moving. You know, things can get off the rails when we yeah. do Quentin Tarantino. So, uh, that's right. Very much so. Very much yeah. so. No, I, um, yeah, I love the Bobby Cannonball. I'd like to see him in more stuff in general. Like, he just has a uh, a masculinity that we just don't see. Speaking a lot of, of getting off the rails, let's talk about my win and less more about Bobby yeah. Cannibal. Here. All right. Yeah, I won. Back in the winner circle, baby. I am a golden god. Recasting court is adjourned. All right, fan theory time. You thought you were gonna escape a Tarantino film without a fan theory? Well, oh boy. Fucking guess again. Um, no, I, I only bring this one up because there's a lot uh, out there for, you know, we talked about it earlier, the, the realer than real universe, the kind of, there's two different universes for Tarantino films, one that's the fictional, one that's, they're all kind of related, the Vega brothers and whatnot. Uh, however, this one I would normally stay away from because it's like, oh, this character from this film is a character in this film, but different because it's by the same actor. The only reason I will give this one credence is because there was an article an interview with Steve Buscemi where he talks about how he thinks or out in his mind uh, wishes that Mr. Pink um, found a way to escape at the end of Reservoir Dogs and went into hiding and became a waiter in a 50s diner as Buddy Holly. His character in Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction are the same person. Uh, that, 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 you know, so that could be a theory that you could throw out there on its own and I think would be like, yeah, I would dismiss it. But because the actor who played both parts has given it, in my my opinion, he he has betrayed who you see on the screen. I know there's writing that goes along with that. may not be canon, but I feel like it gives it some credence to, to that Bushimi himself is, has kind of projected those characters that way. Maybe he played it that way in Pulp Fiction. He was this kind of disgruntled, you know, said the same lines 500 times uh, as Buddy Holly. You know, he, he is pining for a life, a more exciting criminal life he no longer has. He's just trying to stay safe, but they're the same person. What are you saying again? I don't understand Mi- that he's Mr. all those characters are the same. No, no, just Mr. Pink, Bushimi's character. Mr. Pink, uh, Steve, Bushi- uh, Steve Bushimi as Mr. Pink is the same person, same character as he, who he is in Pulp Fiction. He's the, the Buddy Holly waiter in the diner that... Uh, no, dude. That, no, shut up. Stop. That, that, no, I, I'm Bush, shutting this Bushimi, down. Bushimi yeah, I said get that. It. Bushimi said that. I, I don't care. Listening. He's No, I don't care. It's stupid. There's the no The actor. Come on. No, I thought I, I had care. you for a second. No, no, I'm not buying Let's Unless it comes from the... Uh, 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 it's you the know, actor, uh, though. Uh, yeah. Unless it comes from Tarantino's mouth and I, God's ears, man. Come on, dude. Uh, no. Well, no, it's got to come from QT. I don't believe got, that. It's got a, a little bit, right? A little bit of credibility. No, no, no. With, no, with Bushimi no. thinking it. No. Okay. 
I don't think so. And we'll close out the episode discussing The Legacy of Reservoir Dogs, one of the greatest independent movies of all time. It was actually voted greatest independent film of all time by Empire. So franchise of Reservoir Dogs, not really one to speak of. It's no not sequels, one, yeah, like no remakes, but... I just said the franchise. It's Pulp Fiction, you know? It's no, the same no, man, look, there's no Vegas Brothers movie. I like know. I said, best chance is a graphic novel. But QT... Oh, we did get two video games, which I thought was interesting. Of all the QT movies, we got a couple video games out of this. But yeah. QT should write this into a playwright. He's actually talked about that and make this oh, a Broadway play. Like if you think about the, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah. You could do it Which, on Hateful Eight as well, the one location. So I think that's the future of this property. Maybe, maybe even a movie novelization novel like he did the uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think he showed an interest in doing that with some more of his films, doing a novelization, tell you a little bit more about the characters. So we could get that for Reservoir Dogs. I would well. like that for Reservoir Dogs. That would be pretty good. Yeah. Um, Although it would be kind of a Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross in reverse for a stage, uh, like a adaptation yeah. because yeah, it, that, it was a play first and then a film. But uh. that's right. <laughs> uh, spoofs of the film. Uh, it's spoofed in Swingers, uh, like we said, doing next episode with the uh, slow mo walk you talked about. Uh, Simpsons, Robot Chicken, Doug, 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 Doug. Oh, really? Doug. Remember that? Oh. Remember that? Yeah, on Doug, Nickelodeon. Nick, Nick, Nickelodeon. Uh, yeah. Shaun of the Dead, Bridesmaids, and Keanu. Uh, that uh, cat film with uh, Key and Peele. The Key and Peele, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, look, the impact of this movie, we talked about it's one of the greatest independent films of all time, but the French New Wave heavily influenced this 90s indie cinema surge that we got, and, and it was led by filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino with Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, Richard Linklater, uh, Steven Soderbergh, Noah Baumbach, David O. Russell. I mean, there was such a great, uh, so many great young, talented filmmakers of this generation that came in and really uh, uh, gave American independent film film uh, a whole new life yeah I, I, you got to put Carantino though at that the, at the front of that list or the top of that list there though i mean he spearheaded the movement i think um what he turned that uh, independent films are will always have a place in the industry mm-hmm. uh, but you know for the most part and, and i, I don't want to you know speak out of turn here but i, I feel like most independent filmmakers get into it to go along the path that your Kevin Smith's and your Tarantino's mm-hmm. went down. They want to get on that. Uh, they, they want their art to be seen by, by more people, by the masses, um, and to get that out there to do the, to have their. Well, I mean, these filmmakers would ultimately go to work with studios. I mean, because they became so prominent. That, that, I mean, yeah, and and, and, I, and you know that that it started with Reservoir Dogs. That you know Tarantino's production company, a band apart. You look at the logo, and it's from Reservoir Dogs, you know, the, them mm-hmm. walking. That's right. That yeah, group right. there. Uh, but, I mean, you see that, um, you see that as the, kind of the, the launching point uh, mm-hmm. for not only Tarantino, but as the, uh, for, for the the independent film industry of, of the 90s there. Okay, so double feature. What are we doing? Yeah, I hate to do it. Um, I really do, but I don't because it seems the most logical choice. It's Pulp Fiction. I'm going Dogs Pulp Fiction. And you can't tell me I'm wrong. Well, it's, it's kind of the two gangster crime films. It's like he did two crime movies of that genre in there. So I could, and you have the Vega Brothers, so I could see, you know, very much seem connected. You know, you have uh, John Travolta and Samuel exactly, Jackson's yeah. characters wearing the same suits from Reservoir Dogs. So they do seem certainly cut from the same fabric. There's a lot of similarities. I mean, there's... Los Angeles. There, um, there is a... I think a there, case could be made. That's an obvious one. That's low-hanging fruit. Real quick. Real quick. 
There is a, another fan theory. I didn't want to. I didn't want to piss you off, but that dude, come on, man, you're killing me with the fan theories. We, we're no, talking no, no, double no, no, features no, no. here. But 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 the double feature with Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. There's a fan theory that they take place on the same day. I mean, so many people connect these two films with each other. Interesting. There's I haven't the, heard that. I mean, yeah, the, you got to be able to disprove it. I mean, I, I again, I well, it's like okay, they all they, happen in the same world. I don't know about the dates. Well, so with the, because it's like unless okay, the movie how, shows how, something with the dates on them and they're the how, same, how would, I don't buy it. How would um, uh, Jules and, and Vega? How would they be driving around in a car with blood splattered on the back unless the police were preoccupied with something else, like a diamond mm-hmm. heist going on? Yeah, you know that that that's that's the big connecting thing. But okay, uh, that's what I'm saying. That, that's why it's my double feature. It's L. A. Man, it caught, you know, you're right, you're right. No, no, it's, it's not. It's not Kansas. But, but my, you my can point drive is, is that I look at those films as a package deal. Okay, okay. I'm just saying, okay, that's a fair point. I think it's obvious. I think it's low-hanging fruit. I think a case could be made, Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown. Oh, okay. I like that. I, I like mean, Jackie those are two Brown. L.A. films, though. That is a crime I, genre movie. I thought movie. you were going to go Hateful Eight. And those are his most indie films, like, you know, really that and Death Proof. I think he has, like, films that really feel independent, and, and Jackie Brown really gets back to the roots, kind of flies under Pulp Fiction, because uh, how you talk Pulp Fiction, you don't. So you kind of get back to the basics and, of, and you get, of what uh, you do. You, you actually get Pam Greer, and she's mentioned in Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, but you, know, you wow. get a film with Pam Greer. Amazing. Um, and De Niro. I, yeah, I thought you were going to say... Um, and Robert Forrester. I thought you were going to say... Yeah, I got it. And similar. I thought you were going to say, okay. Um, and Chris Tucker. Hateful Eight. I thought that's the no. way you were going to go. Oh, you could do that too because the one location. Tar- one location. I mean, any yeah. Tarantino films, you could, again, they're all in the same universe. It just depends on what, what, what kind of what, what flavors well, you want mixed into the same bowl. Yeah. yeah. And Ty Burr from Entertainment Weekly summed it up best when he said, quote, You may not like the terms of Tarantino sets, but you have to admit he succeeds on them. Unquote. And man, that's the thing, dude. Like, so many people hated on this movie and, and thought it was like crazy because of the violent scene with the torture scene. And they, Tarantino really got an unfair rap back in the day because, uh, oh, you can't do that in your movie. It, it just is really unfair. And, and I think uh, this movie has shown that uh, you, you break new ground. You can't listen to the naysayers. Tarantino did that. And whether you like it or not, he's a great filmmaker. And this is a great movie. That is going to do it for this episode of Replay Value. Thank you so much for listening. The Replay Value podcast is hosted by me, Philip Reinerson, and my brother, Warren Paul. Our recasting judge is Bob Thompson. Produced, edited, and directed by Walter Pickles Productions and dedicated to our father, who we have to thank for our love of cinema. Please be sure to follow the podcast, and if you like what you hear, take the time to rate, review, and share with a friend. You can visit us on our website, replayvaluepod.com, and follow us on Twitter at replayvaluepod. We actually be follow us on X. It's not even Twitter now. Um, we are available on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, X, formerly known as Twitter. X, formerly known as Twitter. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every other Tuesday, and we'll see you then. Bye. This has been a Waldo Pickles production. 